help your animals keep their cool by igniting their thirst. Ignite is Sioux Nation Ag Center's water additive that increases water consumption and feed consumption and helps reduce weaning stress. This spice extract blend is for use as a flavoring in poultry and swine water proportioning systems. Get Ignite at your nearest Sioux Nation location or from your field marketer. Hi folks and welcome to Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Now today I'd like to welcome to the program Dr. Paige Gott and Dr. Aaron Schwant, both from Biomed America. Thank you for taking the time to be with us here today, folks. Thank you for having us on, Dr. Jake. Hey, you're welcome. Now, Dr. Gott is the Senior Ruminant Technician Manager of the Dairy Division. Now, she completed both her bachelor's and master's degrees in animal science and her PhD from the Department of Veterinary Preventative Medicine at The Ohio State University. Now, her research interests include utter health and milk quality, the effect of mycotoxins and other stressors on health and performance of ruminants, as well as the occurrence of mycotoxins in forages, and you're from Fresno, Ohio. Yes. Now, Dr. Aaron is the ruminant technical manager of the beef division. Now, she completed her bachelor's in animal science and master's in feed science and PhD in ruminant nutrition at Kansas State University. Now, she has experience working with beef producers as a nutritionist. Her research interests include cow-calf, grower and feedlot nutrition, specifically in evaluating nutritional challenges that are due to the effects of mycotoxins on health and performance. And you're from northeastern Kansas. Yes. And really, it sounds like this mycotoxin thing is perfect uh, with both your research interests because that's really the topic of our discussion today is on a survey that you did at Biomen on different mycotoxins. That is correct. So Biomen is a global leader in mycotoxin risk management. And our mycotoxin survey has been ongoing since 2004. So that makes it the longest running and most comprehensive data set on mycotoxin occurrence that's known to exist. And we monitor a wide variety of ingredients globally and report that data back to help build awareness and an understanding of what mycotoxins are being found in different feed ingredients around the world. Within the U.S., we really focus in on our corn ingredients because that's really the largest data set that we get samples in from, you know, ranging from corn grain and corn-based byproducts as well as corn silage. But we we do monitor a wide range of ingredients and and share that information and various updates, you know, at scientific conferences and publish updates on our website related to to the surveys as well. And we're always in contact, you know, with the field to try to share that information. Sure. I mean, you talk about all the other different things that are feedstuffs that are involved. I mean, what are some of the kind of off the wall things that you guys have that are in this database? Oh, <laughs> there there's a, a wide variety of different ingredients that come in. You never really know, you know, what people might be feeding, especially on the ruminant side. We get a, a a variety of byproducts. I know there's some bakery waste samples that I've seen, mm. uh, canola meal, co- various cotton byproducts, all kinds of stuff that, that we get in as part of the survey. Sure. And I suppose regionally that would make a difference too as well. That is true. You know, being here in South Dakota, I'm sure that we, you know, most of the samples that would come from here would be corn silage, corn, whatnot. But I suppose in the Southeast, you might see a whole different concoction. Yes, we get a wide variety of ingredients from the South and also in California where there's a, a lot of different byproducts that are fed on the ruminant side. We do, do see some interesting samples and um, we've done a lot more work in the past five years or so looking at forages 
Um, as forages are often thought to be, you know, less of a risk, we typically think more of the grains as being a big source of contamination. But we've done a lot of testing in, you know, haylage and corn silage and also um, fresh pasture grass samples where we, mm-hmm. we have seen some high levels of contamination as well. Yeah, you know, that's very intriguing. Uh, the fresh pasture grass samples. Could you possibly delve into that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, Aaron, do you want to touch on it? Aaron's really taken over the the grass survey lately. You know, being on the beef side, we get a lot of those samples from from beef producers. Yes, I will touch on that. We um, have working working quite a bit, definitely on the the beef cow-calf side, as well as stalker and backgrounders and um, different uh, grazing situations where these animals are out on grasses. Really kind of linking back to seeing some clinical signs or some issues or some reason to believe that there's some sort of mycotoxin challenge within the environment. And so, you know, as working with producers, what we typically do is we'll, you know, have them take some samples and then we can kind of assess the situation a little bit better. But it has been interesting and I've learned quite a bit on, you know, the diversity of the different toxins that can be present in different forages and grasses as well as, you know, even some running into some issues related back to some harvested haze. And so what I really like about what our survey and what our sampling program does is it really identifies, you know, what are the potential contamination risks and how can we mitigate around it? Now, do you typically see the same types of mycotoxins in the field versus when a feed is stored or does that change in the storage process? So the, the majority of the toxins that we really see are coming in from contamination from the field, you know, prior mm-hmm. to harvest. And we do see differences in the, the types of mycotoxins on a regional basis as well. You asked about different sam- types of samples coming in from different regions, but we do see uh, regional patterns of contamination. And, and a lot of that has to do with the, the weather conditions that influence mold growth and subsequent mycotoxin production in the field, you know, that we do see regional differences, you know, whether it's a, a warm, dry climate or cooler, wet areas and, and, you know, anything that stresses the plant really makes it more susceptible to being colonized by the mold and, and having potential for mycotoxin. So we do see a lot of regional variation, uh, but for the most part, the, the majority of what we see in the survey is really, you know, due to that contamination coming from the field. Uh, but definitely there are different toxin profiles and, and different molds that you might see growing in a, a storage situation. Um, and so you can kind of troubleshoot where some of that contamination is coming from based on the toxins you see, but that's not a exact science, you know, as, as the molds can grow and survive when the conditions are right, you know, whether or not that's in the field prior to harvest or post-harvest or, you know, during feeding out, there, there's a lot of potential time for for mold growth and mycotoxins to occur. And with all these different nuances that can be involved, I'm sure you see different prevalence numbers of mycotoxins from year to year or even location to location. Yeah, that that's one of the nice things about the the large data set that we have is that we do track track the trends over time. Um, and we do report on different regionals. You know, globally, they report on the different countries on a, a regional basis. But even within the United States and Canada, we do look at some of those patterns, you know, based on where those samples originate from. Do you also see where you have different mycotoxins that seem to co-occur together or co-occur maybe in, in specific areas? Yeah, that that's a, a great question uh, about co-occurrence because we do find that 
you know, more often than not, we, we tend to find samples that have more than one type of mycotoxin present. There are different patterns that we see, but a lot of times we do see the, the type B trichothecene. So that would be the family of toxins that includes deoxynovalanol, or uh, more people might recognize it under the name vomitoxin. That often co-occurs with zeralinone, uh, which is a, a reproductive toxin. And you know, depending on the region, we might see fumonazins present as well. So that there's a lot of different potential combinations, but those, those are kind of the ones that we see most frequently. Now, I know that you say that reporting clinical signs isn't necessarily the focus of this survey, but what kind of clinical signs do you see reported uh, when people do bring those to your attention? On, on the dairy side, a, a lot of the samples we get are corn silage and also TMR, so like the from a finished feed basis. And, and we see, you know, pretty frequently we'll see reports of diarrhea or digestive upsets in, in the dairies, you know, effects on milk production, whether it's a, a reduction in milk yield or alteration in milk composition with the butter fat and protein content uh, fluctuating a variety of different reproductive effects. There, there's a lot of different uh, outcomes that we see on the dairy side. I'll let Aaron touch on what will we come in, you know, reporting-wise from the beef side of things as well. Yes, on the beef side, I can add a, add a few things, but definitely on the cow-calf side, relating back, you know, um, poor conception rates are definitely on the repro side. has been some things that have been linked or, you know, reported within testing a sample or when they submit a sample in and then also on the the background or grower feedlot, um, definitely feed refusals are very common. Reduced feed intake, um, a lot of these toxins can come back to having effects on on intake. And I'd I'd say those are probably the primary ones. But there's there's a lot of options are listed as diarrhea and digestive upsets as well. So if someone is concerned about having a mycotoxin challenge and they want to try to get ahead of it, what would be the steps that you'd like to see them utilize in order to address this problem? So we would really, you know, suggest if you have some concerns to, to try to do some testing of the feeds that you have on farm. You know, with the survey, we, we see different patterns and, and regional, you know, suggestions of what might be going on in different areas, but really the best way to understand it, if you're you have a mycotoxin challenge in your herd is, is to pull samples of the feed that that you're feeding your animals and, and look at, you know, analyzing those samples to get an understanding of, of what's present on farm um, would be a good starting point. Yeah. In addition, um, you know, one, a good thing is, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I know Paige, when we talk to producers or nutritionists that think that they might be dealing with an issue, you know, you just ask, you kind of eliminate or, you know, Consider other things that could be going on, you know, asking questions to on their diet and, and that sort of thing. And and a lot of the times it kind of depends on the situation, but it does come back to let's get some more information and better understand these individual ingredients or the, the TMR or the ration samples just as a starting point to see kind of what we can do to help improve things. Yeah, Aaron has a really good point with, you know, trying to better understand the situation on farm. Uh, a lot of the clinical concerns that we see reported are very nonspecific, so it could be a variety of potential things causing them. So we really work through, you know, a lot of questions to try to understand what they're seeing on farm and try to help rule out or, you know, rule in other potential causes of, you know, say diarrhea in a, in a herd and try to, you know, help troubleshoot um, and, you know, 
doing the mycotoxin testing is just one part of that if if we suspect that as a potential cause. I mean, obviously, there's so many different issues that a person could run into. I mean, maybe some things mm-hmm. that come to your mind that possibly could be conflicting causes that people might think, oh, this could be a mycotoxin problem, but actually it's not. Yeah, uh, you know, on the dairy side, we get a lot of questions related to utter health and somatic cell count and clinical mastitis. And not to say that mycotoxins can't contribute to those problems, but I would definitely, you know, look at evaluating, you know, depending on what, what specific challenge they're seeing, but looking at hygiene in the barn and in the milking parlor, milking protocols, you know, a lot of management factors that have a, a big influence on mastitis rather than going right to mycotoxins as the primary cause. But a lot of the mycotoxins are damaging to immune function. So it does open up those animals, you know, as a predisposing factor to make them more susceptible to an infection like an intramammary infection that might cause mastitis or potentially you know, a, a respiratory infection, et cetera, you know, the, the, the mycotoxins really can contribute to some of those challenges when the mycotoxins are present, but they're not always the primary cause of the issue. If a person wants to not just view the data from this mycotoxin survey, but perhaps take part in it, is there a way for a producer to be a part of the survey? Yeah, so um, we're always, you know, looking to, to build the data set and help people, you know, build awareness in their own herds and and, uh, flocks and whatnot. And so one of the easiest ways would be to directly contact Aaron or I or any of our counterparts, you know, within Biomen. But we do have the survey is posted on our website at biomen.net. And there's a contact us form that you could reach out that way, or, um, you know, you can access the survey that way. We do do update the corn statistics on uh, a monthly basis. And then the global survey report is updated quarterly. But definitely, if someone was interested, we would be happy to work with them and and try to help them understand what the situation is on farm. Sounds great. Well, doctors, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us here today. We really appreciate your insight on this really complicated and intriguing topic. Yes, thank you for having us again. We appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. And thank you to all our listeners out there. Y'all take care, folks.